Go ahead and turn in your Bible, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus said some hard things, and a bunch of people left because he said those hard things. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, do you want to go also? And they say, where else are we going to go, Lord? you got the words of eternal life. Where else will we go? You've got the words of life. Man, God's people love, love, love God's word. And what a sweet privilege that we get to read it together and meditate on it together. Let's pray that the Lord would help us do that this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. We don't want to be anywhere else, Lord. We want to hear your word. God, I pray that your word this morning would be a well-driven nail that it would be like a goad that prods us, Lord. Please, God, give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear. And God, I pray that you would deepen our knowledge of you. You would deepen our love for you. God, deepen our resolve to obey you and, and, and to be completely devoted to you, Lord. God, I, pr I pray, Lord, that you would put your word all over our homes and our families, Lord, all over our discussions, our conversations. God, let your word prod us this morning. Help us, God, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been coming through Deuteronomy together, and we're this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to try to cover verses 1 through 9. So look at God's word with me and let's read verses 1 through 9 together. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is God's word. Now this passage, there's a huge focus, I I bet you noticed it. There's a huge focus in this passage on the word of God. Almost every verse in what we just read made reference to the word of God. Verse 1 says, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. Verse 2 says, the statutes and his commandments. Verse 3 Hear, therefore, and be careful to do them. Do them. Do what? His statutes, his rules, his word. Verse 6, and these words, these words that I command you today, so much here about the word of God. Verse 7, you shall teach them. What? The statutes, the rules, the words of God. Teach them. Keep going in verse 7. You shall talk of them, these words. Verse 8, you shall bind them, and and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. These words, keep going to verse 8, you shall write them on the doorposts of your gates. These words, these words, the scripture, the word of God, that's the focus of these verses. Now what's in this text? Verses 1 through 3, just by way of summary here, gives us the obedient hearing of the Word of God. And really you can back that up into chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 32, through chapter 6, verse 3, the obedient hearing of God's Word. We'll come back to that. Right in the middle, verse 4 and 5, you've got this hearing, this obedient hearing, rooted in the knowledge of God and love for God. We'll come back to that. And then right here in verse 6 through 9, there's this call for hearts and homes to be saturated in the Word of God. Hearts and homes to be saturated in the Word of God. Now, before we dig into those sections, those three sections here, I want to remind you a little bit or or at least make you aware of something about the the flow of thought of this passage, just the the flow of thought from chapter 5 into chapter 6. How does this stuff all connect? And I think if you see how it connects, it'll help you. If you remember... Moses is speaking to this new generation, right? This new generation that's about to, of, of Israel that's about to enter into the promised land. And he's reminding them of the covenant that God made with them 40 years ago at Sinai. He's reminding them of that covenant. So he reminds them that, that God came down on Mount Sinai and met with them. We just studied that in chapter 5. He reminds them that God spoke audibly the Ten Commandments from that mountain as the mountain was trembling and quaking. He reminds them how he himself, Moses, became the mediator. Do you remember that? If God speaks to us like that, again, we're going to die. Please, Moses, you go and hear from God and come back and tell us what he says. We need a mediator. They felt that. And so Moses reminds them of how he became this mediator And then at the very end of that sort of, that reminding section in chapter 5, where he's reminding them of all these things, he he makes it really clear that part of his mediation, part of Moses being a mediator, is that he's going to teach. Look at it with me. Look at chapter 5, verse 30. He 
He says, he's reminding them that God said this, go and say to them, return to your tents. I've heard what the people had to say. Yes, Moses, you'll be the mediator. Tell the people, go return to their tents and listen. But you, Moses, stand here by me and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. So he's reminding them that part, Moses has reminded the people, the new generation, that part of his role given by God as mediator is to teach them God's word, to teach them the statutes and the commandments. And then in verse 32, chapter 5, verse 32, now he's reminded them of all those things that happened. And in chapter 5, verse 32, he's going to begin to directly address this new generation and really 532 where he begins to directly address this new generation going to the promised land all the way to 6-3 is really saying the same thing and it's this call to this obedient hearing in other words Moses is about to teach them something listen that teaching is going to begin in chapter 6 verse 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall lo love the Lord your God. That teaching begins in verse 4. So chapter 5, verse 32 to chapter 6, verse 3 is sort of this bridge, this preparing them. Listen to what I'm about to tell you with obedient hearing. So he's prepping them. He's prepping them for the teaching that's going to begin in chapter 6, verse 4. So let's lean into this passage, uh, this first section, chapter 5, verse 32. All the way to chapter 6, verse 3. This is sort of a bridge to the teaching, okay? Now, in this section, obedient hearing. Why do I keep saying hearing? Why do I keep saying hearing? Because he's saying all this stuff in 5, 32, 33, chapter 6, verse 1, 6, verse 2. And then the way it all culminates, look at 6, verse 3. Hear, therefore, O Israel. That's the call. Here, I want you to hear something. He says it again in chapter 6, verse 4 as he begins the teaching. Hear, O Israel. He also said that in chapter 5, verse 1. Hear, O Israel. This is a call to hear. He's preparing them to hear the teaching. I want you to hear three times right here. Now, why do I keep saying obedient hearing? Well, part of it is just the nature of this word. This Hebrew word is not merely listening, but it's, but it's this idea of listening submissively. Listening submissively. I'm hearing because I want to obey. I want to hear my God. I want to listen submissively. I'm not just letting stuff go and say, yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm listening to obey. I'm, I want to hear God to obey God. It's obedient hearing. Now, there's language all around this call to hear, hear, hear. That's, that, that just keeps hitting this note of obedience and do, do, do it. Do it. Obey it. Look at it. Look at chapter 5, verse 32. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. So what the first thing he says is he begins to directly address this new generation is I want you to do what God's commanded you. Sounds a lot like James 1.22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's in the New Testament. Now he says this three times here. I want you to be doers of the word. So he says it here in verse 32. 
You should be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. He says it again in 6.1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land. Do them. And then he says it again in 6.3. Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them. Do God's word. This hearing with obedience. Now, it's not even just, you know, to, to say do it is not enough because what does it say in 532? Be careful to do it. What does it say in 6.3? Be careful to do it. This is careful obedience is what they're being called into. This is not passive. This is not casual. But this is diligent obedience. It's diligent. Be careful. Now, that word careful, carefully do God's word, that word careful is used in other places in the Old Testament. And it's used in situations like a gardener that's supposed to be carefully cultivating the, the things that, that he's growing. And, and every time a weed comes up, ripping that thing up, there's a carefulness to it. It's that kind of careful obedience that's, that's being called to here. Or, or it's used in other places of a, a, a shepherd This diligently carefully watching over the flock and ready to fight back wolves. It's that kind of obedience, that kind of watching over your soul, watching over your obedience. What are you doing with the commands of God? Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Now there's a metaphor here. If you look at 532 again, verse 32 and 33 give us a metaphor for this obedience. See if you can catch it. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. Here comes the metaphor. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. So the metaphor here is obedience is being pictured as walking on a path. Walking on a path. God's path. And he says, don't go to the right hand or to the left. Don't do that. It says here, you shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. In other words, stay on the path. Don't go right. Don't go left. Every step a response to God's word. God said it. Take a step. God said it. Take a step. God said it in his word, take a step. It's stay on the path. That's the call of obedience that we find in this passage of Scripture. Now, that continues on in chapter 6, verse 1. In verse 1, we see obedient hearing. Moses tells them, I'm coming to teach you. As God, I told you when God made me the mediator, told me to teach you, I'm about, I'm about to teach you. Okay, so hear what I have to say and hear it with obedience. Do the commands that I'm commanding. So he's calling them to obedient hearing. Now, I want you to notice in verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2, notice the, the that of verse 2. Verse 2 says, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. Now think about that for a minute. What's in verse 1? Verse 1 is, The Lord God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land that you're going over to possess, that you may fear. Okay, think about that for a second. That's interesting. So, 
I'm going to teach you, so you're going to hear God's Word. I'm going to teach you, you're going to hear God's Word with a submissive heart to obey it, that you might fear God, you and your son and your son's sons, that you might fear Him. There's this call to this healthy fear of God. It's not just an Old Testament thing. The New Testament commands that we fear God. That's a command in 1 Peter that we would fear the Lord. This healthy trembling before God, trembling before His Word. There's a call to fear God here. Now what's interesting is this does not say that fearing God will produce in you a desire to hear God and obey Him. Now that's true. Fearing God will produce in you a desire to hear God and obey Him. But that's not what it says. Notice what it says here is hearing God submissively produces the fear of God. That's it. Do, you, do you think that way? That right here it mentions hearing God's Word with a heart to obey it is what's producing the fear of God. Look at it again, verse, verse 2. So verse 1, hear, obey. Verse 2, that you may Fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's house. Now that's very similar, very similar to Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 through 20. Do you remember that passage? Where the king is commanded to write for himself a copy of the law in a book. And he's commanded to read God's word every day. And it gives you a reason. It says that he might learn to fear the Lord his God. Reading God's word, hearing God's word with a submissive heart, producing, teaching you to fear God. Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 5 says the same thing. Incline your ears. Hear. In incline your ears and hear the words of God. And then it says that, that you might understand the fear of the Lord. There's something connected here to hearing from God, hearing His word with a submissive heart, producing the fear of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about how that's connected to chapter 5, verse 29. Look down at your Bible. Do you remember chapter 5, verse 29? Glance at it here. God says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments. Now, what's God's concern there? Here they are, the mountains trembling, the mountains quaking, fire is on, on the mountain, dark clouds, God speaking with an audible voice out of that mountain, glorious moment. And, they're, and they fit, they're feeling that healthy fear of the Lord. They're trembling at the mountain. They're feeling that fear of God. And God says in chapter 5, verse 29, Oh, that they always had this heart to fear me. What's the concern? What about when the mountain's not quaking? What about when the visuals aren't there and the audible voice isn't there? What about when that stuff isn't there? Oh, that they had a heart that they would fear me. Oh, that they had a heart that they would fear me. And then as we keep reading, what do we have? Moses as mediator. I'm going to teach you here. Hear the words of God with obedient hearing. That's going to produce the fear of God. So what normally... Brothers and sisters, what, what normally produces the fear of God in the heart of believers? Is it a quaking mountain? Is it fire from heaven? Is it an audible voice? It's none of that. What normally produces the fear of God in the heart of a believer 
is an open book of the Word of God. You see that here? Oh, that they had a heart to fear me always. Moses, me there, teach them my words that they might hear and learn to fear me. Now, I think the application there to us is clear. Grace Community Church, brothers and sisters, fear the Lord. Hear His Word with a heart to obey His Word and do it over and over again like that king in Deuteronomy 17. Read it all the days of your life that you might learn to fear the Lord. This is a healthy desire that your heart would tremble before God's Word. Now in chapter 6 verse 3, we see the reward of this obedient hearing. Look at it. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it might go well with you. Here's a reward. That it might go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. The reward of obedience. We saw it also in 533. You shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. The reward of obedient hearing. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not legalistic. This is not legalistic. And here's what I mean. This is not be good and be rewarded. Hey, you don't even need to be redeemed. You don't even need a redeemer. Just be good and be rewarded. That's not what this is. How do I know that? Do you remember chapter 5, verse 6? What does God say before he gives them the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, verse 6? He says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I redeemed you, now obey. This is not obey to be redeemed. This is I redeemed you, now obey. This is not legalistic. And we see the same thing in our passage in chapter 6, verse 3. God gives them a promise. This obedience and reward is rooted in the promise. Did you catch it? Look at verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3. That you might multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. It's not do and obey. I don't need a redeemer. It's he's redeemed us. He's given us a promise and therefore obey and be rewarded. This is not legalistic God promised to make a nation of them to multiply them he redeemed them out of slavery and now obey and receive the reward it's not legalistic now that helps us as we think about the way we walk in obedient hearing how do we walk as Christians as the church today how do we walk in obedient hearing again it's not well just obey him and you get your eternal reward no redeemer necessary that's godless stuff that leads to hell. But instead, it's God has redeemed us. Christ Jesus has come. He's paid for the sin of sinners. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. We've been redeemed by His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We've got forgiveness. We've got redemption through Christ. And we've been given a promise. A promise. John 5, 24, the one who hears my word and believes, believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, will not come into judgment, but is passed from death 
and into life. Glorious promise. Redemption by the blood of Christ. Promise of eternal life. Now, this is not legalistic. Obey and receive the reward. Obey Him. So here's what we've got. Here's where we are. Moses has reminded them of all these things. Okay? He's reminded them of the covenant made at Sinai. He's reminded them of the Ten Commandments and how they came and his role as mediator and that that involves him teaching. And then he began to prep them in that little bridge from 532 to 6.3. He's prepping them. I'm about to, I'm about to teach. I'm about to take on this, this mediator role and teach you. And he's prepped them and called them to obedient hearing. And then how does Moses begin his teaching? How does Moses begin his teaching? Look at it, verse 4 and verse 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is what the Jewish people have called the Shema. It's from that very first word there, that Hebrew word here, the Shema. What does Moses want them to hear? He wants them to hear a foundational truth about God. That's in verse 4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He wants them to hear a foundational duty of God's people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is, this is obedient hearing rooted in the knowledge of God, verse 4, and the love and love for God, verse 5. So let's start with this foundational truth about God in verse 4. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Covenant name of God used twice there. Remember that over in Exodus chapter 3? Moses, I'll go, I'll go to him. Who do I tell him you are? Tell them Yahweh sent you. Tell them it's Yahweh. Tell them this is my name, my name for all generations, the covenant name of God with his people. He uses it right here. And he tells Moses, no, you know, no apologies, no timidity here, not, nothing like that. It's just Yahweh, your God, Moses, y'all's God, Israel, your God is the one true God. No apologies. Think about where Israel has come from, they left a pagan land in Egypt. Think about where they're going in Canaan. They're headed into a pagan land. All kind of gods. Gods on the left, gods on the right, just pagan idolatry everywhere. And here Moses puts before them the monotheistic mantra, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He disrespects and disregards all other gods. He doesn't say God is the best, Yahweh is the best, God is the brightest. He didn't say that. He just disregards them all. There's just one. He alone is God. There is no other. No apologies. There is no other God. As you head into this land full of false gods, as you leave this land full of false gods, listen to me. The Lord your God is one. He alone. There is no other Totally disrespects all the so-called gods. Isaiah did something similar, and I think he strikes the same note. Let me read just a few verses from Isaiah. 
Isaiah 43, verse 10. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there, nor shall there be any after me. Isaiah 44, next chapter, verse 6. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Isaiah 46, verse 9. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Moses, what do you want to say? How are you going to start this teaching? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let me tell you something foundational about God. It's Him and Him alone. There is no other. There is no other. To Him alone are you accountable, Israel and Grace Community Church. To Him alone ought you to tremble and bow down and obey. And to Him alone, He alone is worthy of your love. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He alone is worthy of your devotion, your obedience, your trembling, your fear, and your love. Which takes us to this foundational duty in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, why do I say it's foundational? This command is foundational. We know that from the placement of it. Moses has reminded them of what's gone before. He's become the mediator. He's going to teach. And first thing he says in this teaching is this duty right here. You shall love the Lord your God. This is foundational. So we know that from the placement of it in Moses' teaching. We also know it because Jesus told us that. In Matthew 22, you remember it. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says the greatest commandment is to love God. The greatest commandment. He calls it the greatest. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God with everything you have. That's the greatest commandment. And then, and then Jesus says... And, and all the law and the prophets hang off of this commandment to love God. In, in other words, if you, if you do this commandment to love God in every sphere of life, in every area of your life, as God has designed, you will obey the rest of God's law. In other words, all the rest of God's law is an is a explanation of this commandment right here. Love God. On this commandment hang all the law and the prophets. Love God. This is so foundational. This is such a big deal. Now, I want to try to maybe give a little bit of rails of definition around love. Or what does it mean to love God? And I think it's helpful sometimes to define it by saying what it's not. What love of God is not. Brothers and sisters, love is not an unfounded feeling. It's not just, I just feel something, I don't know why, but I just feel something called love. You know, hit with Cupid's arrow, arrow, therefore I feel something. It's not unfounded. And we see that in our text, don't we? Before you get the command to love God with all your heart and soul, what do you get? A foundational truth about the knowledge of God. The Lord our God is one. That's who I'm talking about. Love that God. It's not an unfounded feeling it's, it's, 
it's affections for God rooted in truth about God, rooted in knowledge about God, the one true God. Love is also not feeling this devoid of devotion and obedience. Think about the obedience language all around this. As he's getting ready to tell them, start this teaching and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God. As he's getting ready to do that, how does he set it all up? Do his commandments, do his commandments, do his commandments. Carefully obey his commandments, carefully obey. It's, it's, it's not, love is not just feeling towards God. This, this not this devoid of any kind of uh, commandment keeping or obedience to him. Jesus said this, didn't he? John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, I also want to be quick to say this. Love is also not just commandment keeping. That verse wouldn't make any sense, would it? If you love me, keep my commandments. If love equals commandment keeping, that verse would just say, if you keep my commandments, keep my commandments. You see how that doesn't make sense? It's deeper. It's not just external obedience. Love involves the affections and, and the depth of the soul of affections towards God. We see that in our text. Love God how? Greatest commandment, love God how? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love Him with all your being, everything you've got. Complete, complete devotion to Him. Undivided heart, full heart for Him. This call to love God is deep affections for God that show itself in obedience and complete devotion to Him. Deep affections for God show itself in complete devotion to Him, obedience to Him. Grace, Grace Community Church, I want to encourage you in something. Please, and maybe you've already felt this a little bit, listen, please do not be complacent towards this commandment. I bet I could ask almost, almost everybody in the room, what's the greatest commandment? You already know it. You knew it before I came here. And you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it. But have you grown complacent to this call that God calls you to love him? And he calls you to, to, to love him how? All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. He's, it's full-out devotion hunger for him, delight in him. What other words can we put there? Desire for him, allegiance to him, heartfelt allegiance to him. And this is the greatest commandment. This is not, you've done well, you just missed this one little thing. No. This is if you miss love for God, actual love for God. If you miss that, you miss the foundation. How does anything else you do make sense? Take the warning. Do you remember the church at Ephesus? Revelation 2, verse 1 through 7. They did so many things right. They did doctrinal things right. They had so many pieces fighting for things. They had so many things right. And he says, yet I have this against you. You abandoned the love you had at first. And listen, Jesus doesn't say, hey man, you're doing great. You're just missing one little piece. Not a big deal. Try to add it if you can. He says, if you don't repent of abandoning the love for God, the love for Christ, if you don't repent, I'm going to rip you from your inheritance. I'm going to remove the lampstand from its place. That's, the, that's Revelation 2. 
In other words, brothers and sisters, this is, don't grow complacent here. This is a big deal. Do you love God? Is your love for God growing cold, as it says in the Gospels? Or is it increasing, as 1 Thessalonians says? Is your love for God increasing to the glory of His name? Don't be complacent to this. Now that brings us to a question. How, how do we cultivate this love for God in our own hearts and in our homes? How do we cultivate this love for God in our hearts and in our homes? Well, the next section tells us that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9 tells us that. It gives us the answer to that question. We've been commanded to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And verses 6 through 9 says, here's how you cultivate that in your heart and in your home. Now, what you're going to see there, we're going to slow down and look at each verse. But just by way of summary, what you're going to see in verse 6 through 9 is God calls us. He calls Israel into this and he calls us into this, into our hearts and our homes being saturated in Bible. Just saturated in the Word of God. Now I want you to think about how do we cultivate love for God in our hearts and homes? Saturate your heart in the Bible. Saturate your home in the Bible. What's the lesson that we learn there? Before we dig in into details, what is, what's the lesson that's just sitting on top right there? How do we cultivate love in our hearts? How do we obey the greatest commandment? It all comes back to this. Listen, it comes back to seeing, to, to spiritual sight. Oh, man, if, if you can just see God with spiritual eyes for who he truly is, you'll love him. And when your spiritual sight grows dim and God becomes unclear, unclear vision of God in your eyes, then your love will grow cold. So how do I cultivate love for God in my heart? I need to see Him for who He truly is. And the more I see Him, the more I love Him. And the less I see Him, the more my love will grow cold. And I believe we see that in our passage, don't we? Again, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength rooted in what? Foundational truth about God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So, so how, how do we see him? How do we see him? How, if, if it all comes down to seeing God, how do we see God? How do we get a spiritual, uh, spiritual vision of God? How do we do that? Do we wait for the mountain to quake? Do we wait for the clouds to form around Sinai and is shaking and is fearful? Do we wait for that physical manifestation of God? Is that what we wait for? No. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Next verse, these words I command you today should be in your heart. You see God through the Word of God, and you, and you, you, hope you, you have your eyes on His Word and the words in your home, and it's just saturating all of your life. And through that Bible saturation, you're seeing God for who He truly is, and your love for Him abounds. You're not waiting for the mountain to shake. Let's look at it verse by verse. See if you can see what I'm saying here. Verse 6 says, And these words, that's how you see God, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. He's calling the new generation of Israel 
to love these words. Man, love them. These words, these words I command you, all of them, all of these, these words. Brothers and sisters, how's your heart towards these words? Moses loved them. Deuteronomy chapter 4. What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that is set before you today? Oh, Moses loved them. David loved these words. Oh, how I love your law. It's my delight. It's like honey to me. It's, it's more to be desired today than gold. The Apostle Paul loved these words. All Scripture breathed out by God is profitable for teaching. He loved the words. Jesus loved these words, even as a child. Luke chapter 2, you see him just sitting in the temple, just sitting at the teacher's feet, listening to the Word of God being taught. He loved this stuff, even as a child. What about your heart? How is your heart towards loving God's Word? Matthew Henry said, He that loves God loves his Bible. Now it says in verse 6, these words shall be on your heart. They shall be on your heart. You, you, you ought to, we ought to know them by heart. We're so consumed with them. We're taking them in so much that we know them by heart. These words I command us shall be on your heart. They need to dominate our thought lives. They need to be the highest, uh, the, in the highest of our affections. God's word, God's word. This sounds so much like Psalm 119.11, doesn't it? These words I command today shall be, shall be in your heart. Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 119, 11. What does it say? These words I have hidden in my heart. These words I have stored up in my heart that I might not sin against Him. Sounds like Proverbs 22, verse 17 and 18. It says, Let these, it's a good thing if these words are within you and ready on your lips. The Word of God in you in such a way that it's just ready right there on your lips. It's on your heart. You know it by heart. You love it. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that just as Moses is charging Israel, get these words in your heart. I want to call all of us here. Listen, get God's Word in your heart. Why? Why? That you might know God and that you might love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you might see Him through those words and love Him with everything you got. Now verse 7, it tells us, don't only get the words in your heart, get them in your home. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them these words diligently to your children not only in your heart but in your home teach them diligently to your children now I want you to think for just a minute about the placement of verse 7 think about where we're at in Deuteronomy and, and think about the placement of this command in verse 7 to get the word of God into the hearts of your children Okay, is this what you expected to be here if you didn't know verse 7 was coming, right? You've got 
the very beginning of Moses' teaching here, right? You've got this, uh, this massive claim about God, foundational claim about God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You've got the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what are you expecting to come next? Were you expecting, hey, and teach these words to your kids. <laughs> and, I, and I think this ought to highlight for us how massively important this is, brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to teach these words to your children. Massively important. Not only by the placement here, but it's all over Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 11:19 is going to repeat the exact same thing over again. These words I command today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Deuteronomy 4:9 earlier said, Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. I hope you see how massively important verse 7 is. Get the word in your home. Get it in your home. Now it says here, teach your children. Teach your children. Every parent has a responsibility to teach their children the Word of God. One of the translations actually said, school them in these words. School them in these words. This, where do you go? Like When you think about, God, give me insight from your Word about how to give my children a godly, God-fearing Christian education. How do I do it, God? Where do you go? You go to Deuteronomy 6. These words I command you, they should be in your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. And again, verse 6, verse 7 says diligently. Diligently. This is serious. This is not casual. This is not do it when it's convenient. This is not live life and then work some Bible teaching in. No, this is Bible teaching is at the forefront and work everything else around it. Get them God's word. It's a responsibility for every parent. I remember hearing people say, most lessons are caught, not taught. And I, and I understand, and I, and I agree with maybe the heart of what people are saying when they say that, but don't let that be an excuse for you. You are called to teach them these things. Teach them these things. The Hebrew word there has been translated as impress. Impress these words upon your children. It's literally repeat these words. Repeat them over and over again. The words of God. Get them into their souls. This is a call for a word-saturated home. The word of God in you. The word of God in your kids. The word of God constantly on your lips. Why? That you might know him, see God, and love him. That the love of God might abound in your home. Now I want to give a quick, just a quick word to the kids, the young people, not just kids, but young, younger folks at Grace Community Church. I was thinking about you as I thought about this command for parents to teach them to their children. You know, if you think about it, young people, you might be here at Grace Community Church for a long time. Some of you probably move away and, you know, there's things that happen that move, move where you live. But a lot of you might, you, you, you ever thought about that? You might raise your kids here at Grace Community Church. I wonder if the young folks have ever thought about that. You might raise your kids at Grace Community Church. And I want you to think about this 
what will that next generation be like? Just like Moses is thinking about the next generation of Israel, that your sons and your sons' sons might fear the Lord, teach them to your children. What's the next generation of Grace Community Church as you're raising your kids here? What's the next generation going to be like? And I want to encourage you to beware of apathy. Satan's most deceptive weapon in your life is not to tempt you and lure you just to be outright rebellious. That's not the most deceptive one. The most deceptive one is for you to just be apathetic. No real zeal for God, no real passion, no real hunger for Him. Just do right, be good, apathetic. That's His deceptive plan for your life. I want to encourage you to be aware of it. Young people, please remember that verse 7, verse 7, parents, Teach these things to your children. Teach these words to your children. Listen to me. It's rooted in and aimed at verse 5. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love from a pure heart. In other words, children, it's not enough that you just be good and act right and be a little different than the world. You're called to love God. What will you do with the teaching you've received? Don't be apathetic. Let it lead you to love Him. Verse 7 is rooted in verse 5. Let it lead you to love Him. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Now, keep going in verse 7, brothers and sisters. Keep going in verse 7. It says, And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So now, the people of God here are being called into holy discussions. Word-saturated conversations. Not only teach them, but talk about them. Talk. That's what it said there. You shall talk about these words. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down... And when you rise up. So think about that. Uh, this is a call to holy discussions over the Bible. When should you do that? When ought the people of God to discuss God's word? It says here all the time. How, how would you say it? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. What's he trying to say? All the time. Psalm 34 verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my lips. And you get a bunch of people together like that, and that's just what we're doing. It's just holy, Bible-saturated conversations all over the place. Now where? Where should uh, these Bible discussions take place? Well, it says here, when you sit in your house... And when you walk by, the way, walk by the way, that's in your house and outside your house. When should you have these Bible conversations? When you're in your home, when you're outside your home. Everywhere. Who should have these, dis these discussions? These Bible discussions. Who, God's Word is so important to us that we just want to talk about it. Who should be having these discussions? Just scholars? Bible theologians, is that who's supposed to have these, these discussions? Well, what does this passage tell us? Moms, dads, kids, farmers, blue-collar workers, everybody. 
All God's people just talking about God's word. It's a beautiful thing. I love this. One commentator said it like this. The law was to be the, co- the topic. The law was to be the topic of ordinary conversation in ordinary homes, in ordinary life, from breakfast to bedtime. I like it so much, I'm going to read it again. The law was to be the topic of ordinary conversation in ordinary homes, in ordinary life, from breakfast to bedtime. Listen, this is part of God's plan for you and me, for God's people, to see him more clearly through Bible-saturated conversation, to see him more clearly and therefore love him more. This is part of God's plan. Not only teaching, but talk about these things. So children in the room, children, you have got to learn. I want you to learn. I'm, I'm urging you to learn how to have Bible conversations. How to have word-saturated conversation. Uh, young Christians, maybe a new Christian here, or you're just younger in the face. Listen, you have got to learn. It's part of your sanctification. How to have, not just to listen to a sermon, praise God for listening to teaching, but you need to, you need to learn how to have normal, ordinary Bible-saturated conversation in your life. It's a part of your growth. Maybe it feels odd at first because you're coming out of darkness and into light. You're not used to that kind of thing. That's kind of strange. Maybe you're not used to it. you got to learn it. you got to learn that sort of thing. Learn it at the family dinner table. Discussions about God's Word. Learn it in family worship. Discussions about God's Word. Learn it in the car leaving here today learn it discussions about God's word when you're leaving here over the phone fellowship groups the church gathering on Sunday like right like just learn to talk to other people and do you know anybody like that that they just always seem to turn at some point the conversation back to Bible man admire that admire that and imitate it It's a consistent thing that I've noticed, and I'm saying this because I want to encourage you not to take it for granted. A consistent thing I believe I've noticed as new people have come around Grace Community Church, that that's something that has actually stood out to them. I mean, I've seen people just in tears because, you know, they've been in situations where, yeah, 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 the Bible was, uh, you know, taught or it was was preached, but then then it's over and, and... and everybody's just talking about all the junk of the world like it's just nothing else. And they get around you, brothers and sisters, and, and they go, man, I look up, and seriously, I've, I've had people with tears in their eyes telling me, everybody's just talking about Jesus. There's a Bible conversation going on over there, and they're talking about what was taught in the sermon over there. He's talking about what God taught him in the Word last week, and they're encouraging each other, and they're challenging each other. And, and man, they've been so encouraged by that. Listen, I have taken that for granted at times. Don't do that. Don't take it for granted and don't let your love grow cold. Press into that more and more. Holy, Bible-saturated conversations in your life. It's a means of grace for your growth. Fill your life with Bible-saturated conversation that your love for God, remember that's the reason, that, that your love for God might abound in your heart. Now last little section here we hadn't dealt with much. Verse 8 and 9. You shall bind them, it's the words, 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, a common, a common uh, response to this from, from the Jewish people has been to take it very literally. You know, as frontless between your eyes and, and, and like literally to have little leather boxes with Deuteronomy 4, 5 stuffed in there, some kind of scripture and, and literally bind it on them. Or to sign on their hand or to write or, or literally like little uh, boxes on their doorpost. That's been a common thing amongst the Jewish people, even today, to take it that way. I want you to notice that this is, the language here is metaphorical. Look at it. It says, as, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. It's a metaphor here. Uh, but it's not enough to say that. What's being communicated you got to answer that question. What's being communicated in that? that that's a heart. That's, that's hearts and homes saturated in the Word of God. So, so much Word of God just coming into our hearts and coming out of our mouth and in our discussion and in our teaching. So much so that it's like the Word's just always right here. Like frontless between our eyes. It's, it's like it's... Everything that we do is like tattooed on our hands. It just affects our lives and everything we do. The Word of God, because we're not wise. We need God's wisdom. It's like written everywhere. Like you can see it. Just constant reminders of the truth of God's Word. And again, why? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Grace, Grace Community Church, may we be an obedient, Bible-saturated people. Bible-saturated hearts, Bible-saturated homes, obedient, full of God's Word, and may that produce in us a deep, deep knowledge of God and a deep, deep love for God. May that be the, the reality at Grace Community Church. And let's pray for that. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray for these things. Please, God, make us an obedient people. God, make us a people that love to obey. Make us a people, God, fully devoted to you, Lord. Fill our hearts with the affections of love, God, of all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, God. God, I pray that you would let love abound and increase in this church, God, and please that you would protect us from being those that abandon, abandon the love we had at first or those whose love has grown cold. God, protect us, please. Give us spiritual eyes. Help us to see your glory. God, I pray that you would make us devoted to these things that your word would get in us and in our hearts and in our homes and in our children and in our lives in our conversation God please please help us in these things and I pray that it would produce exactly what you say here that we would love you
Lord, please help us to live these things out for your glory, for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen.